Welcome to Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And now for your weekly recap, a timely review of this week's top headlines and takeaways. Here's your host. Welcome to Inside Towers Week in Review. I'm Leslie Stimson, Inside Towers Washington Bureau Chief. With me are Sharp Smith, our technology editor, and John Salentano, our business editor. This episode is sponsored by Inside Towers Intelligence, a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. It looks at market trends, capital expenditures, relevant M&A transactions, and more. Intelligence is designed for managers, marketers, and investors. Look for our Q3 issue soon. An annual subscription also includes an exclusive briefing and online support. For more information or to subscribe, visit insidetowers.com slash intelligence. So our first story this week involves uh, fraud in the FCC's um, emergency broadband benefit program. The FCC inspector general said he found several instances where people uh, people or the providers were, were claiming that children were involved, children who were involved in the school lunch program also were signed up for the EBB, but they found instances where these kids were living more than 100 miles from the school. And the, and the IG said that's a, an indication of fraud. Um, so the FCC said it's going to tighten up the uh, eligibility requirements, and so did the National School Lunch Program. And then a big story we've been following involves um, AT&T, Verizon, and the uh, FAA about their use of C-band, which was supposed to be coming up in December. They delayed it for a month because the FAA said there could be potential interference to uh, aviation radio altimeters from 5G operations in the nearby 3.7 gigahertz band. Um, and the altimeters operate in the 4.2 to 4.4 gigahertz. Last week, AT&T and Verizon said, you know what, we can lower our power limits nationwide when we go on in January, and we can especially lower them even more around airports. We're waiting to hear from the FAA what, whether they think that's going to be doing it or what. But the whole thought is to give the FAA more time to study the issue and come up with mitigation efforts. Um, the FAA administrator recently said some sort of filters could, could, um, could help. And, you know, the, the discussions haven't reached the level of, well, who would pay for the filters, who would install them, all that. Um, but the ball now is in the FAA's court. Sharp, that brings us to a story from you on Vodafone. Yes, thank you, Leslie. And, uh, Vodafone is deploying what they uh, call eco-friendly uh, cell towers. And uh, the, what it is, is uh, it's a trial uh, using cell towers that are powered by wind and solar energy. And they're going to be deploying them later this year as part of their shared rural network in the United Kingdom. And the towers look a little bit like a, a farm implement on, on a pole. So I don't see this uh, being deployed 
uh, anywhere in a city, but uh, but in a rural area, uh, it I think it will uh, it will work fine. It's uh, it's it's part of their their goal to uh, be able to provide coverage to uh, 95% of the uh, United Kingdom landmass by 2025. Uh, they, uh, the quote uh, from the company spokesperson is, uh, they're committed to delivering connectivity services to the most responsible and sustainable manner. Uh, and they confirmed that uh, the entire European business and network is now being powered by 100% renewable electricity. And uh, their goal is to be uh, carbon neutral by 2027. And uh, this is a piece of the puzzle. It, uh, it does allow them to, uh, to erect uh, a cell tower pretty much wherever they uh, need to without having to worry about whether there is uh, electricity, uh, providing there's a, there's a backhaul for the for the tower, so it's a uh, it's a little uh, a little a little step in the right direction, shall we say? Well, thanks, Sharp, and that brings us to another story from you. Ah, uh, yes, uh, this this story uh, deals with uh, uh, T-Mobile's response to uh, the national advertising division of the BBB uh, national program. And uh, uh, what they, what the BBB had done was uh, to basically uh, recommend that T-Mobile stop using their uh, most reliable uh, claim that they were the most reliable uh, network. And uh, the BBB looked at, uh, looked at what, uh, uh, this is based on a, on a uh, a third-party testing company, Umlauts, uh, 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 testing. And uh, they looked at uh, the tests that Umlaut has done, and they said, you know, it, uh, it, that's not really the basis for, uh, for, a, uh, for what you should be saying, that you're the most reliable uh, uh, network. You know, basically... Umlaut uh, goes in and they they do they use crowdsourced uh, data collected from uh, from mobile phones, and while they are good numbers and uh, mean that you know they're uh, uh, obviously a good good network, uh, the the parameters that uh, that Umlaut was using really don't didn't uh, didn't work for the advertising. They're sort of a watchdog. And uh, so that's sort of the background on this. And uh, T-Mobile appealed. The story here is that they appealed the decision and uh, are uh, looking for them to, uh, they said they were disappointed and uh, they're going to appeal the decision. So really that's, it's sort of, right now it's sort of a back and forth uh, type of story. Thank you, Sharp. And John, that brings us to you. Yes, uh, Leslie, we have uh, another uh, a story uh, coming out of Europe and a new tower company that's been formed. Uh, Totem is the newest independent tower company in Europe. Uh, the company is a subsidiary of um, Orange, 
the which was formerly France Telecom, uh, the, the large uh, multinational telecom company based in Paris. Uh, Totem's operations began on November 1st um, and really uh, it operates independently of Orange uh, uh, following the transfer of um, all the passive mobile infrastructure assets that include the sites, land, uh, existing agreements with carriers and any third party leases. <clears throat> uh, the company is initially gonna be operating in France and Spain, which are uh, Orange's two largest markets. And at launch, um, Totem's infrastructure portfolio uh, consists of about 26,000 tower sites, rooftops, distributed antenna systems and other mobile sites in these two countries. Uh, Totem in France will manage about 18,500 micro sites, about 53% uh, of those are tower sites. And in Spain, uh, the company will oversee and manage uh, 7,900 macro sites split roughly 50-50 between towers and rooftops. Uh, as a neutral independent tower company, Totem will pitch infrastructure sharing offers to the mobile network operators uh, in Europe uh, and sell coverage solutions to improve connectivity in dense and enclosed environments such as stadiums and underground stations, uh, trains and office buildings. Um, Totem uh, is, has a goal to become a, a leader in the tower uh, business in Europe. After France and Spain, uh, the company will consider options of incorporating other passive mobile infrastructure assets from Orange's operating companies in six other European countries. And longer term, uh, Totem's operations could uh, extend to a number of sites uh, that Orange has um, in, in 18 countries across Africa and the Middle East. So um, the tower business keeps evolving, uh, Leslie, and, and Europe is an active market. And uh, this is another example of um, of uh, opportunities that are being uh, um, um, approached uh, from uh, uh, with the independent tower operations. So we'll keep an eye on that. Thank you, John. So one of the big stories this week the, was the Senate Commerce Committee nomination hearing for Gigi Sohn and Alan Davidson, the president's pick for the open democratic seat at the FCC and to lead NTIA. Most of the questions went to Gigi Sohn. She's been a, she's, I, she, I would characterize her as a very um, outspoken, strident advocacy lawyer. And well, she got the most questions for sure. GOP lawmakers were digging up tweets from her as old as 2010 saying, you know, why did you say this? Why did you say that? A lot of those tweets had to do with net neutrality. Um, they were questioning her ability to separate her personal feelings from her ability, if she were on the FCC, to be neutral. And um, she described herself as an advocate for policies that ensure modern communication networks are available to everybody, regardless of who they are or, or where they live. She, um, she told them that part of her, if confirmed, her priority would be pragmatism and she is willing, you know, she said in the past, she has been more than willing to reach across the aisle and sit down with people who disagree with her position to try and find some common ground. Some GOP lawmakers were not convinced. Dan Sullivan of uh, Alaska called her a hyper-partisan activist. So did Roger Wicker of Mississippi. Sullivan said he didn't believe um, 
she could be neutral. And he, he was reciting a tweet she she um, put out saying uh, she called Fox News state-sponsored propaganda. And he said, you know, how can you say that and be an honest broker? He thought all this kind of stuff disqualified her for the job. And Ted Cruz said he had real concerns about her nomination, um, noting the growing calls of the left to have more censorship. He said, your record suggests a deep antipathy towards those of different views. So she spent a lot of time trying to say, can make neutral decisions. She said a lot of those tweets were part of her job as a policy advocate. Um, She said, I've been characterized unfairly as being opposed to conservative speech. Committee Chair Maria Cantwell, Democrat from Washington, um, and the ranking member Roger Wicker of Mississippi asked her about improving the FCC's broadband maps. She said, you know, that would be a high priority to get those done quickly. So did Alan Davidson. You know, many of the lawmakers were saying, you know, NTIA needs to be beefed up. NTIA only has 150 employees, yet they're going to be charged with distribution of $65 billion in broadband deployment grants to states. And he agreed they need to get up to get the maps fixed so that they can um, get that money out quickly. But he also said they need to be careful about what they're doing. He he doesn't want to put the money out before they have accurate maps. So big stuff going on when we'll see how this confirmation goes, if uh, Sone is confirmed or not by the Senate. And that leads us to a story from Europe, from Sharp. Yes, coming in from Europe. Um, This is sort of an interesting uh, article um, or story. Um, It's it's basically a letter from from the the heads of uh, Deutsche Telekom and Vodafone and 11 other major European telecom companies uh, basically saying that the, uh, they're, they're tired of, of uh, having to spend so much money uh, at the auctions. And uh, quite frankly, they're tired of having to build out their, their uh, networks uh, to handle all the data that's being produced by uh, US tech companies such as Netflix, Google, and Facebook. And uh, they, uh, they're, they're basically asking, uh, saying that the, uh, the tech companies should, uh, uh, should have to pay for, for uh, a portion of the, uh, the cost of building out the networks that are needed to, uh, uh, to carry all of, their, uh, all of their data. And uh, basically the, the quote here is from the letter is, our sector is investing heavily to bring new digital networks to all Europeans. Total telecoms investment has now reached $59.4 billion a year in Europe, the highest in six years. Europe's global role cannot be limited to buying and regulating the technology built by others. We must create the conditions for homegrown digital infrastructure and services to thrive and set our global standards that others can aspire to. So I'm not sure whether uh, um, they are calling for a a European Google 
or a, a European Netflix. Um, I guess that's possible. I'm not. A, uh, I don't know uh, what that what, what that all entails, uh, but uh, uh, it's interesting because uh, it is it has crossed my mind that that uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the issues that that we deal with uh, on an infrastructure side um, are in response to uh, to companies like Netflix, Google, and Facebook. And Amazon and uh, and and the other companies. So uh, stay tuned on this. I don't. They don't really seem to have a plan, but they have a they have a complaint. We know that much. And having a plan is a good thing. Thank you, Sharp. Uh, Intelsat and SES say they've cleared a 120 megahertz swath of C-band spectrum ahead of the FCC's deadline that paves the way for them to get more than $2 billion in combined proceeds. The um, Intelsat and SES have the largest share of the 500 megahertz C-band in the U.S. The satellite companies say the FCC validated their activities that were needed to clear their spectrum by the December 5th deadline. That's under phase one of the agency's accelerated schedule. SES CEO Steve Collar said over the past two years, we have worked tirelessly to clear spectrum while also carefully transitioning our customer services. And they're proud you know, of what they've done. They, he called it a tremendous undertaking. And what they did was move customers to the upper, the upper 200 megahertz of the band from the lower 200 megahertz. Once again, clearing spectrum for wireless use. And John, that brings us to a story from you. Uh, yes, Leslie, we had a, a unique opportunity this week. Um, our managing editor, Jim Fryer, and myself um, had an opportunity to spend time with uh, Alex Gelbman, who's the CEO of Vertical Bridge. Uh, Vertical Bridge is the uh, <clears throat> largest private owner and operator of uh, communications infrastructure and locations in the country. Uh, Vertical Bridge is also a portfolio company of, of Digital Bridge, which is a public company. Um, uh, Vertical Bridge has a lot of assets, uh, somewhere in the order of uh, over 313,000 sites that they're, they're uh, operating and, and have marketing rights to. <clears throat> that includes over 9,000 owned or master lease towers across the U.S. and Puerto Rico. Um, and despite the mix of assets, um, uh, Gelman says that Vertical Bridge is focused on uh, on the tower, the macro tower sector more than any of its publicly traded rivals. Um, he said they are actively putting up new towers on, on built-to-suit arrangements and, and acquiring towers where the opportunity arises. But he wouldn't give us numbers. He just said as many as we can, uh, noting that the uh, industry is in a in a high cycle. And that macro towers will be the focus of that uh, deployment over the next five years. In fact, he's anticipating we'll see more more towers uh, built in in those next five years that have then have been built in the in the last ten. And um, um, uh, so acquisitions become a part of that. Uh, he did make a case that um, the valuation metrics are different today than they were, say, in 20, 2009 when. Um, 
in the aftermath of the financial crisis uh, of 2008, he says the um, it's not the same blueprint. Uh, valuations bottomed out in 09 around 18 times, and that's uh, enterprise value to EBITDA. Uh, they traded in the low 20 times for years, and now has moved up to the 30 times range. And so it, it makes um, buying new towers uh, um, a different consideration than it has in the past. There was expectation in the industry that there would be a flurry of activities among tower owners to sell their towers before the end of the year, uh, before tax laws change in the new year. But uh, that activity has not materialized. Uh, Gelman pointed out as a whole, the industry is riding a tsunami of activity um, that uh, he said that one uh, prominent Wall Street analyst refers to the tower business as BBE, the best business ever. Um, Gelman anticipates this strong build cycle driven by 5G and network densification with new spectrum availability um, to carry on for uh, at least the next five years. Um, uh, Digital Bridge uh, has a portfolio of uh, infrastructure companies that include um, uh, fiber data centers, uh, small cells, and of course towers. And uh, Vertical Bridge is an active part of that portfolio uh, management. He said uh, the companies uh, in the Digital Bridge family get together often and collaborate on deals to deliver a combined coordinated uh, infrastructure solution to the customers. Um, and depending on the opportunity dictates uh, which of the portfolio companies may take the point on interfacing with the, with the customer. Uh, Digital Bridge as a public company doesn't report any numbers for its privately held portfolio companies. Um, uh, Vertical Bridge's towers are all in the US, but uh, Gelma did point out that um, he is part of the Digital Bridge's South American tower team and um, his Lieutenant uh, Bernard Borghi, the uh, uh, EVP of operations for Vertical Bridge sits on the European tower board. Um, they work closely with these uh, international teams and uh, in helping them looking at new deals and conducting diligence. And he says, uh, we're plugged in with them and have day-to-day -day discussions. So um, very interesting uh, insights into the tower business in, in the US. Um, we, we covered a, a lot of different aspects and uh, part two of this uh, interview will run in, in Monday's issue. So please have a look. There you go, Leslie. All right, John, thank you. Thank you both. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Inside Towers Week in Review. Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.